Hello and welcome to The Menu, Monocle's programme on great food, drink and hospitality. I'm Tom Edwards, standing in this week for Marco Sippi. In the next half hour, we'll cross over to Davos, where the World Economic Forum annual meeting has been taking place this past week. We'll meet one of the businesses that's in charge of feeding all those very important guests. It was something that nobody had ever seen. The style of service that we went for, the energy, the the vibes that we created at that Google party was just unbelievable. We will also head to Montreal to visit one of the city's great recent culinary success stories. We thought we were just going to be this little cafe that people came in, had a coffee, had a sandwich and then left. But we ended up turning into this place that was like, man, like we'd like full like dinner service now. All that and much more ahead in the next 30 minutes here on The Menu. First today, we're crossing over to the Swiss Alps and Davos. That's where your usual host, Marco Sippi, has been spending the past seven days reporting on this year's edition of the World Economic Forum, where some 3,000 politicians, business leaders and experts have been gathering. A meeting of such scale and importance comes with some extraordinary logistical challenges, whether that's security, the schedule, or simply the vast quantity of quality food and drink to serve to all those important guests. UK-based Liquid Chefs is one of the biggest and longest-standing caterers at the WEF. Marcus spoke to Adam Solomon, the founder and owner of the business. Let's take a listen. I started Liquid Chefs in 2008 in the United Kingdom, and we started as a company that provided professional services around drinks, uh, all types of drinks, so cocktails, uh, fresh fruit smoothies, uh, barista-style coffee and pressed juices, uh, as well as the um, overall management of events around the drink side of, uh, of it. So Adam, obviously, it's an amazing place where we are now. We are in Davos, the World Economic Forum's annual meeting is taking place. How did you become one of the main caterers here? I'd like to say we got very lucky. (laughs) That toppled with um, working hard. So uh, we did um, our first event for uh, Google in 2009. um, And this was in the Belvedere Hotel in the Atlantis Room, where... um, We had an opportunity through uh, the head of events at Google um, to come and do this and we absolutely blew everybody's minds through our service, through uh, our unique way of working um, and through the flavors of our cocktails. How many times have you been here now? This is my 14th year doing, uh, doing the WEF. And yeah, I was 23 when I did my first one. Uh, and it was interesting because I actually didn't know what Davos was when I got a call to say, hey, would you like to come to Davos next month and do a party for us? I was like, cool, yeah, let's do this. What's Davos though? <laughs> so yeah, it was, it, it was very interesting. And we came and we, we did one party. I, I, I actually have a picture of that on that night with uh, Mark Zuckerberg standing in the queue waiting for a drink. This is before Facebook even started making it big, but it was it was it was quite a special year for us because it 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 was something that nobody had ever seen. The style of service that we went for, the energy, the the vibes that we created at that Google party was just unbelievable. So now we are in your main kitchen. You've taken over a restaurant space in in, in Davos. What do we have over here? So so we've taken over a space which we call our base, um, and we utilize it to plan, to prep, um, and to basically um, get everything ready for all the different events that we we're doing out there um, and we have delivery teams that will deliver to all the locations um, we have teams on site to receive all the deliveries and then everything that we do on site is finished and prepped and served to the guests that we are serving out here can you try to paint a picture of the 
workload. How big of a challenge was this for you? Oh, this is for us. This is the biggest event of our year. So we we work. I would say uh, seven months. Uh, it takes us seven months to plan. Um, and when I say seven months, you know, it it really ramps up in the last three. But um, from accommodation to flights to ground travel and how we're getting everyone in and how we're getting everyone out and where everybody's sleeping and making sure everyone's happy is a big big thing for me. So it it is a mammoth task and it's not just about cooking and serving drinks. There's lots and lots of logistics that go around um, making this all happen. And it's we have a big team that do it. Um, and for, for us, what's important is having a team that has done it and maintaining the team and keeping people in the same place so that people kind of come knowing what needs to be done, hitting, hitting the ground running. And uh, from there, it, it becomes a lot easier the more people that know that what's going on. Tell me more about that logistical challenge. Oh, God. So, so I mean... Firstly, Davos is a very tricky place to work, especially when it snows. Um, the roads, the deliveries, the understanding the nooks and crannies on every road and where you can deliver and where you can't deliver. There's also lots of restrictions in terms of what you can and can't do. Um, so actually during the week, the only, um, the only things that are allowed to be delivered are food, beverage and waste removal. Well, actually taken away from each venue. Um, no equipment, no infrastructure, um, no glassware, not, nothing can move besides for food, beverage and, and waste. So um, it is a challenge and our biggest challenge is making sure that everything is in the right place at the right time. Um, and this all is done a week before the actual WEF starts. So there's a hard cutoff on Saturday at around four o'clock uh, and we have to plan daily deliveries. We have to plan truck movements. We have to plan, we have to pack the truck in the way that we are delivering to all of our locations. Now, we can't just gain access to all of our locations on, on, on a specific date. We have to coordinate everything directly with each client that we're working with to make sure that we're arriving at the same time so that, uh, or at the right time so that we're not arriving um, and they haven't finished their setup and they're ready for us, if that makes sense. So it is quite a mammoth task, especially um, because we work with lots of different people. It's not just one client here. So, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of coordination that goes around doing that. There must be some surprises along the way as well you need to tackle always always we've had lots of surprises uh, I think I've visited the hospital three times this week you know we had a staff member that cut their finger while they were prepping we've had a staff member that that got a chest infection so it's you know we have a big team here there's 150 people so um, you know something's bound to happen to someone and we have people that look after people we have a what we call a liquid mum which is a designated person that just looks after people's happiness uh, and health and if anything happens they know who to call kind of thing it's a dream for many companies to get to do catering here in Davos and you've done it now for over 10 times. How much does that help you in you know, promoting your business and finding new opportunities? So, I mean, it helps us tremendously. I think, um, you know, the credit is more down the lines of our ability um, to be able to pick things up and take them wherever we go and do them in the same way. So international logistics management um, and just, yeah, it, it, the credit in, in, in being a, a big Davos caterer um, helps us everywhere. So, so Davos is our biggest event of the year. We also do other events like Can Lions, where uh, we take also a big team and we do exactly the same thing, but it's in the sunshine and it's in June right by the beach. Um, we do Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. We do Web Summit in Lisbon. Um, you know, we've, we travel the world with, with lots of our clients doing um, exhibitions, roadshows, pretty much everything. And I think it's, you know, the ability to, to pick things up and take them um, wherever and being able to provide the same style of service is what our clients love 
love about us. So um, we have a lot of clients that instead of rewriting the book every time with new on-site caterers, they would rather say, hey, Liquid Chefs, can you come and replicate what you do for us every time around the world so that we, you, we, can, we know that the service that's being provided to our guests, wherever we are, is always of a top quality. What's on the menu? What do you serve to the people who are some of the most powerful in the world? Everything, so we serve everything from breakfast, lunch, dinner, canapes, bowl foods, live cooking stations, um, cocktails, barista-style coffee. We've got, a, we've got a location where we're doing bone broth soup. Um, we have locations where we're doing uh, sushi stations. And yeah, it, it literally, you name it, we're serving it. Um, something that is really important to us is um, also just making sure that our food is, is, is healthy and you know, gives people energy and, and you know, we, we aim to stick to to really really cool refined menus utilizing really really good local uh, local suppliers tell me more about those local producers and local suppliers so this is this has been a big thing for us in the last few years um, since the pandemic and since uh, actually just before the pandemic we made a big uh, conscious decision to try and be as sustainable as we could be from a catering perspective. Now, you know, sustainability is a hot topic at the moment and everyone's talking about it. Um, and, you know, the truth is events as a whole are not very sustainable. So all we can try and do is the best we can when it comes to this. Um, and there's a few things that are important to us. So supporting local um, and actually almost giving the locals an opportunity and a platform to show themselves who they are or show everybody else who they are. So we have one or two locations where we invite some of our local suppliers to come and actually demonstrate some of their products and talk about who they are and what they do and all the good things that they do for, for, for the people that they are supplying. So we have the most incredible Swiss salmon farmer. Now, a land-based Swiss salmon farm in Lustalo is something that we had no idea about before we started on this journey. And... Um, actually going through these paces and, and meeting these people and interacting with them and understanding and filming with them. So I don't know if, if you've had a chance to have a look at our social media, but our social media is, is riddled with um, interviews and videos of you know the salmon farmers, of the cow farmers, of our, our fruit and veg supplies, of our milk supplies, everyone. We've vetted, we have understand who they are. We could call them in the middle of the night asking them for support and they will support us. Are there some dishes you've been serving for many years now, some things that have been particularly successful can you think of anything yeah so so soup is a big thing um, and we have a client that we've been doing the most delicious soups for uh, people walking up and down the promenade will know about it uh, it's Zurich insurance we we hand out soups uh, every day between 12 and 3 o'clock and it's almost a hot spot for people to go and and get something warm I mean Davos is freezing cold so anything uh, anything that's warming is uh, is normally very popular what do you think you've learned along the way I think you mentioned was it the 14th time or 15th time you're here now it's, it's the 14th time you're here in Davos now. What have you learned along the way? Oh, I mean, it's, it, there's been so many lessons. There's been so many experiences that has helped us grow to, to where we are. Um, but the biggest thing that I've learned is just understanding the people that you're working with. And, I, and that's the locals. Um, the locals could either make or break you in this town. So, um, you know, we like to work as much as possible with the locals. We like to support the locals. We like to employ the locals. We like the locals working for us and assisting us in executing our events. So, you know, things like local drivers, um, 
um, you know, to, to be able to say, hey, we need you to deliver this to this location, no problem. Um, you know, whereas bringing, bringing our staff from the UK to drive in, in, in this area is just not a good idea. So uh, biggest lesson I would say is that, you know, working with the locals, um, you know, has, 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 has really helped us execute uh, to the level that we execute at. So Adam, before this interview, you actually emailed me to tell me that there are some things you are not allowed to discuss because there, are, there have been some agreements. I'm wondering, can I ask what those things are you can't talk about? <laughs> so there's, there are a few things I can't talk about and it's, you know, NDAs are signed and, and obviously just making sure that, you know, specific client names are not mentioned, etc. But, you know, we work with many different clients here. Uh, I would say over, over the last week, we've done around 50 individual events um, in 15 locations all around Davos. Um, and some of our clients are totally fine with it. Um, we, we work with everyone from some from banks to crypto has become a new big thing in Davos, which I think everybody knows about. Um, some of the old tech companies, etc. Um, and we're very proud of 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 the the, the wide um, range of clients that we work with around Davos. How much sleep have you got so far? <laughs> um, I would say I'm averaging about four or five hours a night. Um, there was a night where I got three, but there was also a night that I got eight hours. But, you know, it, 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 I can tell you now that five or six years ago, it was way less. Um, and I think as we get, as we, as the years go on, we get better and better at we, what we're doing. Uh, we have the right amount of people. Um, sleep is important. And I would rather have a happy, healthy team that are getting lots of sleep to make sure that what we're doing is at the best quality um, that, that can be done. So we, we have some rules, some hard rules with our clients uh, to make sure that our staff don't work more than 10 to 12 hours, that they're getting adequate sleep. And if a, if a venue opens up early and closes up late, we need to have two teams. We can't expect people to be up at six o'clock in the morning and going to bed at midnight because I can tell you now by day two or three, your staff aren't smiling, your staff aren't happy, your staff aren't serving uh, the, you know, your, your, your guests or your client's guests in the way that you would want them to be. If they weren't, uh, if they weren't full of energy and and have had a good night's sleep, Adam, this interview will air on Friday at twenty hundred London time. That's twenty one hundred here in Davos. I'm wondering what 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 are you and your team doing then? <laughs> I think we'll be sleeping. So uh, today, oh, I was expecting this party. Well, there, there is a party. We're planning a party for Saturday night. We're planning a big team wrap party for Saturday. Um, Friday, we'll still be breaking things down, packing things away. Our aim is to get everything done and dusted by lunchtime on Saturday, so that Saturday night we can let our hair down and and have a little bit of a party, and then we all leave on Sunday. What's the Saturday night plan? <laughs> so we're, um, we've spoken with one of our good friends who runs the most delicious pizza restaurant in Davos. Uh, he'll be delivering around 40 or 50 pizzas to us. Uh, we've got music. We've got drinks. We've got a good vibe. We've got all of our local suppliers coming. We've got all of our local staff coming. And we've got the rest of our team that are going to enjoy that. Adam Solomon, founder and owner of catering company Liquid Chefs there. You're with The Menu on Monocle 24. From the Swiss to the Austrian Alps next, and the winter resort of Lech, which boasts an array of top restaurants to go with the area's similarly first-class ski slopes. Local produce is favoured on the menu, and the gourmet village is attracting a new generation of young and enterprising chefs to this culinary mecca in the mountains. Monocle's correspondent Ivan Carvalho dropped in to Lech earlier to meet some of the key players in the town's hospitality scene. In the German-speaking world, the ski resort of Lech am Arlberg in Austria's westernmost state of Rallaberg has been christened a gourmet village, thanks to its concentration of award-winning restaurants dedicated to wining and dining travelers. 
Hotels at this posh yet cozy venue have, in recent years, looked to up their culinary offerings with international cuisine that doesn't forgo traditional roots. I met up with Stefan Kainz, hospitality manager at Hotel Auenhof and Hotel Sombling. The, the difference now is um, everything 20 years ago was about textures, or let's say 10 years ago was about textures, how to, change the, the, how to change the appearance of a tomato, how to change the texture. Now it's back to the basics, basically. It's used the best products you can get, preferably from local farmers, preferably from the surroundings, and present itself in the best possible way. So don't change the texture. Keep it, we always say keep it stupid simple, but keep it the best possible way how to serve lamb, how to serve beef. If it's from the surroundings, if it's from a farmer, you know, you have a completely different approach to the product. So people appreciate that. Not imported lobster, not imported turbot. Lex's wealth of top hotels with fine dining has attracted a new generation of chefs. Jacob Zeller from South Tyrol and Ethel Hoon from Singapore are partners in life and in the kitchen. Both in their early 30s and with experience in restaurants from Tokyo to New York, the two have brought their talents to the cozy dining room at Klosterly, where they work creatively with local ingredients, which in winter often focuses on game caught in the wilderness. Jacob Zeller and Ethel Hoon. Here at Klosterly, for us, one thing that was really important is to, is to work with local produce. So that's kind of how we relate to the region and how we are grounded here. But after that, we feel very free to... to um, develop dishes or to bring our inspiration that we find from experiences that we made in, in our um, professional careers into the food we cook. The venison that we currently have, have on the menu is from uh, for Alberg, so from the Bregenzer Wald region, uh, which is just kind of behind the mountain, and, and we get it from a local hunter. Uh, so we also have this direct uh, relationship with the producers that we work with, so we get the information how old is the venison, is it male or female, what are the characteristics of this product, and then we can react and, and cook it in different ways. So that's, that's really important for us, this, this direct link to uh, producers, so we have this dialogue and, and can develop uh, together to reach a very high quality of product, produce and, and uh, culinary experience. So the liver with the black curry is a kind of... Jakob and I really like working with offals. That's something that we, yeah, we, we have a passion for and um, that's something that not everyone enjoys. So we kind of try to disguise the liver in a kind of a kofta or a, a little uh, sukune, if you like. Um, and then we grill it uh, and it's served with a black curry. That's a, a Singaporean black curry paste, uh, a curry paste actually, made with lemongrass, ginger, kaffir lime, uh, chilies, onions, caramelized for a very, very long time. Um, and then we add to it black, uh, black olives, so it's kind of a mishmash between a tapenade and a curry paste. A key component of Close Chili's menu happens in the pantry, where Hoon has glass preserving jars containing salted chanterelles, fermented green tomatoes, pickled pumpkin, and sour cherries, among others. The clever vegetable offerings on the menu includes a gratin with buckwheat miso, served in a cast iron pan. In summer, it has fresh chard and kohlrabi. In winter, pickled vegetables. Gourmands looking to be wowed can venture to Rotwand, where its chef's table tasting menu is overseen by Austrian chef Julian Steiger. Still in his 20s and fresh from a stint at Geranium in Copenhagen, Steiger is based in a tiny hamlet outside Lech. 
he treats guests to Steinbock, a local mountain goat dish, where the meat is dry-aged for several days, then roasted on a yakitori grill. Julian Steiger of Rotwam. I mean, before I work in big cities like Copenhagen or in New York, and you come from an 8 million or 2 million um, city to an 80 80 people village, this is crazy. This feels really unreal. But you have really big opportunities, what you can do here. Also with the guests, they are so open, open-minded for everything. And you really can show them nice new things. Together with local wines made from Gruner Wettlinger and the Red Blaufrankisch grape, from small niche producers doing exciting things in the cellar, diners in Lech have a lot to look forward to. After a day on the ski slopes, it's a turn of their taste buds to get a workout as they enjoy the quaint surroundings of the Austrian Alps. For Monocle, in Lech, I'm Ivan Carvalho. Thanks to Ivan Carvalho for his reporting. Finally to Canada. Montreal's sizable Italian community means it's never been short of excellent spots to pick up pizza and pasta. Founded in 2018, Mano Cornuto is one of the Canadian city's recent success stories. A team of young chefs and restaurateurs coming together to breathe new life into Montreal's food scene, using their shared background, growing up in the Canadian-Italian community there, as their inspiration. Monocle's Hester Underhill headed to their restaurant in the city's Griffintown neighbourhood to meet one of the four founders, James Barron, to hear more about the ever-expanding project, which now includes a coffee shop and wine club. Yes, uh, was myself, uh, my partner Vito, my partner Tyler, my partner Alex, and we all really came together as kind of like, we kind of, some of us, it's funny because none of us ever knew each other, all four in one room. Like, I had known one of my partners, my other partner knew the other, my other partner, but we never really sat down together. But we all knew when we were building this kind of thing that we all had something that was invaluable. Like, if we wanted a partner, that's the guy that's going to get it done. One of my partners is a marketing genius. One of my partners is a bartender in the front of house. He's genius. Me being the chef and my other partner really being a logistics guy. He, like, really does understand how to... I always call it, like, he knows how to double tap stuff. It's like he knows how to get things moving and then working on the next thing while everybody's focused. And I think that was really integral in our growth because we have a lot of talent, but sometimes talent is useless without direction. And so were there particular things that you wanted to take from the restaurants that you'd worked at before that you wanted to bring to Mano Cornuto? And what, what were they? That's a funny question. You know, when we, when we opened this place... Uh, specifically me and my partner Vito we both grew up in like Italian neighborhoods you know we're the two that are actually Italian uh, of the partnership and he grew up in St. Leonard I grew up in uh, the southwest in LaSalle and Point St. Charles and when we grew up we would go out with our parents to like these little cafe bars and there was always like old guys in there like playing cards and like drinking one guy's drinking coffee the other guy's drinking a glass of amaretto one guy's having an amaro degustacion you know and it was like it was always like a cool place for just like you to go hang out at any time of the day. If before you were going to dinner, after a wedding, before a wedding, before your birthday, before, you know, like, and we would always be brought in as the kids. The kids, you know, like in bars like that, like even though they're bars, you bring your kids into them for five minutes, you shoot the shit with the bartender and you leave. I think for us it was important that when we opened this place that we did our generation's version of that. 
And I think that's the best way to explain Mano is that like we wanted a place that we could hang out like our fathers and grandfathers did. And I think that's what we really tried to build. And I think, you know, the proof's in the pudding for that is like it's the kind of place that you can come in at any time of the day and you'll recognize somebody and you'll have a good time. And I think that's really what we strive for. And everything else came afterwards because our clients demanded it. Like our wines got better, our food got better, our place got bigger, our our service got better because we thought we were just going to be this little cafe that people came in, had a coffee, had a sandwich, and then left. But we ended up turning into this place that was like, man, like we do like full like dinner service now. You know what I mean? Like we're baking like tons of bread fresh every day to serve sandwiches. That like we never thought that was going to be the outcome. And... Uh, it's not so much like I said it's not so much what I took from other restaurants it's what I actually took from growing up in those cafes so is it easy to source Italian produce and everything all the ingredients that you need for the restaurant in Montreal so there are a couple of uh, great importers there's two there's two there's a two uh, part answer uh, I work with a good friend of mine, which is uh, Ryan Andrelli and uh, Paolo Mackey, who own a company called Mackey, and they have one of the best importation licenses in the city. They can pretty much get us anything from Italy. Uh, so things that are like integral sometimes, you know, like obviously like the pecorinos, the parmesan, the cheeses, those things like that, even like the salumis and stuff like that. Like I've had uh, like cold cuts made in Canada and I've had cold cuts made in Italy and you couldn't tell me that they're not absolutely different, you know? Or both are good, but they're, there's, there's no comparison. It's like uh, burrata from Italy doesn't taste like Canadian burrata and you couldn't tell me otherwise. Um, that being said, the second part to that answer is that Italian cooking is so beautiful in the fact that it's like, it's super regional. And that being said, it's like, I grew up as a Canadian Italian and my grandmother cooked Italian food but she cooked Italian with Canadian ingredients. So it was like the Italian food that we cook here isn't necessarily am I buying tomatoes from Italy and doing this. It's like I'm actually just using my nonna's recipes, my mom's recipes and my partner Vito, his mom's recipes and his nonna's recipes and you know they've been here for a hundred years our families, you know what I mean? So it's like and I think that's a very important side of Italian cooking is that it's so subjective to your family. And so I guarantee you that I cook Italian food. And some people will be like, is that really Italian? And I'll be like, hell yeah, it's Italian. Because my mom did it, my grandmother did it, and my grandmother's mothers did it. But another amazing thing about this location that I'm just staring at right now is the view of like of all the high-rises surrounding. Oh, like- this is a funny thing, too, because I always tell everybody, too, when you come here, it's like you have the best standing view of the city anywhere in the city. And so basically, when you stand outside of the front of the restaurant, and I'm telling you, if you're, you know, you'll be here probably a little bit later and you'll see it at night, when the city lights up, it's actually incredibly beautiful. And you literally stand at street level and you look up at the city just buzzing. And it's such a crazy view. And I remember when we, when we got this place and we found it, they were building a park there, we're like, wow, we actually have the best view in the city. And it's funny how it's blocked in from a giant panel and then a giant brick wall and we just have that beautiful cone that shoots out. Monocle's Hester Underhill reporting from Montreal. And that's all for this edition of The Menu. Do be sure to tune in at the same time next week for the latest premiere edition. In the meantime, do check out our menu spin-off show, Food Neighbourhoods 2. 
You'll also find plenty more great reports on hospitality from around the world in the brand new edition of Monocle magazine. Pick up a copy on newsstands or subscribe now. All the information you need you'll find at monocle.com. I'm Tom Edwards. Our studio engineer was Callum McLean. Marcus will be back in the presenter's chair next week. Once again, we finish the programme with a little dinner soundtrack recommendation for you from Switzerland, appropriately enough in this week of the World Economic Forum. Here is Jeans for Jesus. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Tops, tops, tops.